Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Think for a minute about the people in your world. What do they think of your commitment to them? How would you rate your faithfulness? Does your loyalty ever waver? Do you have one person with whom your contract is non-negotiable? Once, two friends were fighting together in a war. The combat was ferocious and many lives were being taken. When one of the two young soldiers was injured and could not get back into the trenches, the other went out to get him against his officer's orders. He returned mortally wounded, and his friend, whom he had carried back, was dead. The officer looked at the dying soldier, shook his head, and said, It wasn't worth it. The young boy, overhearing the remark, smiled and said, But it was worth it, sir, because when I got to him, he said, Jim, I knew you'd come. Make the most of your relationships. Follow the advice of Benjamin Franklin. Be slow in choosing friends and be even slower in leaving them. It is here in the Archbishop's Corner where Archbishop Leonard Blair leads us to the knowledge that will help us make the most of our relationships. Yes, with one another and also with God. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for leading us into the Archbishop's Corner to show us the way to a closer relationship with God and with one another. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Well, today is the first Sunday of Lent, a 40-day season of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. In his message for Lent, Pope Francis encouraged Catholics to listen to what Jesus wants to tell them, saying one of the ways Jesus speaks to us is through the Word of God, which we can hear at Mass. If one cannot attend Mass during the week, the Pope said it's a good idea to still read the daily readings of the liturgy. Perhaps you can talk with us for a moment, Archbishop, about how God speaks to us through Scripture readings. Well, yes, absolutely. We, we have to remember that um, when we uh, read the Bible with faith, and especially when it's proclaimed by, uh, at Mass, that it is truly Christ speaking to us, that if we enter prayerfully and attentively and ask for the, the grace of the Holy Spirit to hear what God wants to say to us, then, you know, this is Christ speaking we mustn't think that it's just an informational. As Pope Benedict once beautifully said, it's not informational, it's transformational. Mm-hmm. Always keep that in, in mind, I think. I mean, I need to keep it in mind for myself, too, that when God's Word is spoken, it's meant to be transformational, not informational. And I think that requires faith. But if you, if you understand that and you accept it and you pray for that grace, God will speak to you. And I think during Lent, I mean, I would hope that it would be all the time, but um, especially during Lent, you know, the, uh, that this is something that, that we need to take to heart. You know, it's very interesting. There are a lot of worship uh, and devotional things that have appeared in recent years. Recently, uh, those of our listeners who are familiar with the little booklet, monthly booklet, uh, Magnificat, yes. has done a splendid job. I, I'm not hesitant at all to do a little commercial for Magnificat because the founder of Magnificat came to see me. Uh, a while ago. He's an elderly French gentleman. In fact, I had to remember my high school and college French. He spoke in French and I understood, but I, I couldn't muster enough French to answer him. But they want to, to uh, 
he he was not looking for business. He was looking that their foundation would make a grant to help us distribute Magnificat. I won't say too much about that just now because we need to consult a little how we might do this. But Magnificat is, is a publication that has every day's readings for Mass with a meditation from one of the saints and other things. What a beautiful little book with prayers. That's the kind of, of uh, thing that, that's very helpful. But I would say to our P- Catholic people, you don't even need to buy a little booklet as nice as it is. You can go online to the United States Conference of Bishops website, USCCB, or many other websites that give you the daily reading, or you can uh, buy a, uh, some other kind of book. But really, God's Word to us, and I would hope that by doing that, it would pique a person's interest, that if they, don't, if they want to know more, if they want to go more deeply into what the reading is saying, that they might then be drawn to some scripture commentary, or they might even be better yet drawn to attend Bible study, which is extremely successful and fruitful where it happens, Bible study groups that where, where people can do this. Uh, so and actually talk about the scriptures. Talk about the scriptures and, ref- and be given the, 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 the background and the parameters to understand scripture correctly. Because, you know, scripture is not just a private book for everybody to, to understand as they will, but it is the book of the church. You know, it, it was written by, uh, by the church and for the church and un- with the authority of the church as authentically God's word. Uh, you know, Pope Francis wants us to have Word of God Sunday in, in January, and of course, we have so many commemorations and things that, that make it uh, difficult sometimes to, to honor all these things. But, you know, the Word of God is absolutely central, and what better time than Lent uh, to make that the focus of your prayer? And there's a, another publication that is similar to the Magnificat, which is Give Us This Day which is out, that we use here on WJMJ for morning and evening prayer. Yes, well, Magnificat has, the, has the same more a form of evening, morning and evening prayer from, that's modeled or taken from the abrevery, the, the, the Liturgy yeah. of the Hours, I should say. And, uh, yeah, but all of those things are very, Beautiful very good. Helps. Yeah, Beautiful they, they certainly are. And, and one of the good things that uh, is recommended, too, is that people, before they go to Mass, for instance, on a Sunday, they read through the scripture readings so that they know a little bit about what they're about so that when they do hear them at Mass, uh, there's a greater impact for them. Yes. And God love our lectors, but there too, just as with priests, with lectors, sometimes uh, their um, skill at being able to read clearly, distinctly, and with meaning uh, sometimes is very good and sometimes it's not so good. You know, the, we have to read with understanding. And I, I thank all of our electors, whoever they may be, for their willingness to do this. But whoever it might be, uh, whether and whatever the level of, uh, how should we say, of quality to, to what, what is done, including the microphone system, it never hurts. It's a wonderful thing to spend our own time looking at the Word of God to understand it better. Absolutely. Wednesday is the first day of March and also the start of Employee Spirit Month. This month seeks to inspire the most vital part of any organization, that is, its employees. As the leader of the Archdiocese of Hartford, what do you do to keep the morale of the staff motivated? Or keep the priests motivated as, as the Archbishop of Hartford, for instance? Well, I think you obviously have to uh, lead by example, and you also have to create a work environment that for us is not only materially uh, good, but spiritually good. And we try to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I think today especially there's a lot of tension in 
the workplace and for everybody. Uh, you know, with COVID and with many other social things whirling around us, the office, quote unquote, but not just there, other places too, uh, are tense because society is tense. People are tense. People are short-fused a lot of times. This is true. And I think, in fact, sometimes it leads even to these horrific uh, shootings and things. So we, we are not a healthy society right now spiritually. That's for darn sure. We're not healthy spiritually. More and more people are no longer uh, practicing any uh, faith uh, or even uh, growing people uh, claiming not to really belong to any church or have or or any religious group and, and and you know when you get into that kind of world then we have to those who of us who do have faith we have to strive all the more to be as uh, the scriptures say and the second vatican council to be a leaven like yeast in a society that by our witness how we behave what we do uh, you know, but you can't make everybody happy. Even in the church, there are sometimes disputes about uh, uh, employ, employment factors. Uh, it's a very litigious society in which people sue one another at the drop of a hat. And so we have to always, uh, we have to follow our proper procedures. We have to be honest, but we also have to be charitable. It, it is a difficult uh, challenge for everyone. And hence, Friday, March 3rd, is certainly needed. It's worldwide. It's an ecumenical event called World Day of Prayer. It'll take place on Friday. And the purpose of this day is to reinforce the bond among peoples of the world as they join in global circle of prayer. It's initiated and carried out by women in more than 170 countries and regions. Any thoughts on the importance or effectiveness of World Day of Prayer, Archbishop? Well, with great respect for all of these observances of which you always have a full panoply to present, I, I, do, I do think that, let's put it this way, to those who pay attention and to those for whom this becomes an occasion to do something, I say that's the most wonderful thing in the world. But let's face it, most people, we are bombarded with all kinds of things, and I would be very happy if our people take to heart something, especially during this Lent. If all of our listeners... And I include myself and you that, you know, yes, we, we have obligations to pray and we do, but that we would find some occasion, devote, we would spend some more time during Lent especially offering a prayer to, to God, not only for ourselves, but for our hurting world, uh, for all the many things that I've, I've talked about a moment ago that really require the, the mercy and the love of God. And we don't have to look too far to find a, a really important intention for which to pray. Look at the world and the devastation that has taken place in the world uh, with the, the earthquakes, several earthquakes that have taken place to the destruction of so many lives in Turkey and Syria, the problems that we've had in, in our own country in terms of the, the train wreck that's polluted a, a portion of a, a, a town. Uh, there's so much to pray for. Huh? And not to forget Ukraine and the horrific yeah. suffering there. Exactly. Well, Archbishop, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine some of the wisdom of Pope Francis drawn from his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and we'll ask you for your thoughts. This is taken from Pope Francis's message delivered on June 8th of 2014, and it's called Remember Your First Love. The Pope says, I invite you to immerse yourself in the joy of the gospel and nourish a love that can illuminate your vocation and your mission. I urge each of you to make an inner pilgrimage and try to remember that first love you felt when Lord Jesus Christ warmed your heart. Don't do it for sentimental reasons. Do it to continue living in joy. 
The disciple of the Lord lives in joy when he stands next to him, when he does his will, when he spreads faith, hope, and evangelical mercy. Yes, well, when our light, when our life is enlightened by Christ, then we become a light for other people. You know, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. I often use an image like that, that, you know, the sanctuary lamp, just as uh, there's the red glass uh, and the light is inside, the glass itself is what it, it comes through. Similarly, we're like that, that glass uh, candle holder, or, you know, that the, the light of Christ is inside of us. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And, but we're only the light of the world when we let him shine True. through us. We become more and more transparent. And it's a good image for Lent because you know in the church, if you let that red sanctuary lamp made of glass, if you never clean it, it becomes darkened and blackened by the soot. And then you can't see the light within very well. Well, that's a good image for Lent because if we have the light of Christ within us, if we're in the state of grace and we, we seek to make him radiate into the world, we have to keep the ourselves as instruments wash clean and bright and we do that by repentance by going to confession by constantly making a resolve to let the light of christ shine in us so you know what the holy father says about the joy of the gospel uh, you know there's nothing more joyful than light when you when you when you've been deprived of it uh, and when it it comes again you you that is the joy of christ Great imagery, Archbishop. Let's take a look at our gospel reading now on this first Sunday of Lent, the 26th day of February. Today's gospel is taken from Matthew, the fourth chapter, and after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you and ask for your thoughts. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterward, he was hungry. And the tempter came. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Again it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Be gone, Satan! For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So, Archbishop, what are your thoughts as you hear this gospel account by Matthew? Well, I, I would offer some thoughts of the homily that I gave today uh, for this first Sunday about the temptations of Christ. And that is that uh, Christ bore our uh, humanity in all things but sin. And as uh, sin and death entered the world through the uh, fall into sin, through the temptations faced by Adam and Eve by the devil, Christ, on the other hand, comes to, uh, to the world uh, to uh, say no to evil and sin. And so these temptations in the desert that Jesus receives, he, he, he spurns them, he turns away from them, he conquers them. 
And uh, so it t- shows that Jesus uh, was subjected to all the things that we are, uh, you know, that he, he was not the kind of being who was immune from being tempted. But by the same token, uh, in his sacred humanity, he overcame the devil. And he makes it possible for us, if we're living a life in Christ, to do the same. We will always be sinners until as long as we live. We, we are never become perfect uh, without sin. Only the Blessed Virgin Mary and, of course, Christ himself, uh, of course, was sinless. But we, but we, uh, so we, ours is a constant, everyday struggle to turn away from sin and to believe the gospel. And when we do that, we are getting the strength of Christ to, to do it. Where does the strength come from to make sure that we don't give in to temptation? Well, it's a grace. It's, uh, you know, it, it's not something we can do on our own. But if we have been baptized and we've been confirmed and we receive the Holy Eucharist, all of the sacraments are meant, and certainly the sacrament of penance, we are, we are given the grace to, when we fall, to, to rise again and to keep stri- struggling against uh, evil. You know, there was a C.S. Lewis, uh, the, the great English writer, uh, Christian writer, he said, we, we always bear our human weakness. We always face sin. But for those of you who know history, he says we can never become a Vichy government. And what he means is a reference to during World War II, when Hitler invaded France, he let the southern part of the country be run by a puppet government, a government that was run by the French, but it was under the Nazi thumb. And uh, he, uh, he's saying that we can never become a Vichy government. We can't ourselves to be, be puppets of Satan, uh, that, that yes, we, we think we're in charge of our life, uh, but really we're letting someone else call the shots who is evil. And, uh, and I think that's—so, so we're, in other words, we're always the resistance. He was contrasting the Vichy government with the, which the French resistance. The, resist, the French resistance uh, fought tooth and nail behind the lines, behind the scenes, to fight against uh, the Nazis. And that's the way we have to be against evil and sin. Jesus was Satan's prize, so to speak. If Satan could actually succeed in tempting God's son, what a feather in his cap. Doesn't it seem that the closer you are to God, the more fervently Satan works to tempt you and cause you to sin? Yes, I think that, you know, I think a spiritual tradition would say that the temptations uh, are more refined, more subtle uh, with uh, those who have reached a certain spiritual uh, level. Uh, but they always, one has to be very cautious always of not trusting yourself. I don't mean in some kind of psychologically crippled way, but in a spiritually astute way that not to trust yourself, that, that we all are capable of, of sin. We're all capable of falling. But what is that old saying, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. There is a lot of truth to that, really. We can't use that as an excuse. Um, but uh, it is true. It is divine grace that holds us up. And when we fall, raises us up again. Let's look at a few questions that have been submitted by our listeners. But before we get to those questions, I want to bring something up, that we've seen an increase in violence against the Catholic Church in recent years. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has tallied that at least 248 incidents have taken place against churches since May of 2020, including arson and the beheading of statues. The vast majority of recorded incidents were destruction of property, but we are now experiencing further violence. Bishop David O'Connell, the Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, was fatally shot in his home on February 18th, and authorities have determined his death was a homicide. 
What are your thoughts on this this homicide? And, and do you foresee the violence against priests and bishops continuing to increase in today's society? Well, I can't comment on the California case because as we are recording this program, I, I don't know enough about it, mm-hmm. what the motivation was. Um, but when it comes to violence against churches and church property, and it's not just Catholics, uh, others as well. True. Uh, there was also a story just uh, in the recent news of, a, I think, an 18-inch pipe bomb found behind a church in Philadelphia. These are the kind of things we have to worry about. And, uh, you know, as our society becomes more and more godless uh, in the sense that people are turning away from religion and they don't practice and everything, this, this is not just a demographic or a sociological reality. This is a deeply spiritual reality that we have to take to heart. Uh, and we have to be vigilant about. And I think there's a lot of things, hatred for the church because of its pro-life stance, hatred for the church because of many things that we oppose, uh, uh, you know, about, for example, homosexual marriage, those kinds of things. I don't think that there's we can point to any one group that's targeting the church for all of this, but clearly there's a lot of opposition and even hatred for the opposition that the church has to some societal changes and legal changes that we we find very difficult. I think we have to be vigilant and we have to pray. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So we have to do the same. But I do, you know, we've advised our parishes long ago that they need to be uh, proactive with their local police departments and with the recommendations made by our insurance company about how, what at a parish should be done uh, to, to be, to be uh, vigilant and proactive. Michael from Glastonbury has a question. And he says, I heard your program with Archbishop Blair talking about the loss of Father John Lavornia. I am sorry for your loss. There was a lot of talk about the sadness that was felt by so many. But I was wondering if you should have paid more attention to his being home with God. Well, Michael, we all are human beings. Of course, his whole funeral liturgy uh, was the hope of the resurrection and being with God. But uh, that doesn't mean that we're we're not sad at his passing. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. So we pray, we pray for, we would be less than human if we were, we didn't have a sadness at losing. It's one thing when someone dies after a long life and has reached a point where maybe their own health and and you know abilities are not what they were, and it's time to go home to God. But when we lose someone who's young in their 48 prime, forty-eight years old in their prime, uh, you know it's only natural. You know Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus when Lazarus died, and if the Son of God who raised him from the dead. Uh, wept. I, I think uh, it's understandable that every human being does the same. Steve from Hartford says, what did God mean when he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you a prophet to the nations I appointed you in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Well, I think it means that God uh, has a plan and a call to each of us who are born into this world. Uh, and it's the mystery of God's knowledge. You know, how can I put this simply that that God's knowledge is not uh, mean that it that He foreordains exactly how our life should be to the exclusion of our human freedom, but it does mean that uh, God does know, uh, you know, uh, the call that a particular human being is appointed to that that, that is going to be born into this world, and it wasn't just uh, John the Baptist or Jesus, but uh, or Mary, but it's the call that 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 God knows of us uh, before we were born for each and every one of us. 
Amanda from Wallingford says, My three-year-old loves Mass, but only when he can sit in the pews with the congregation, not in the cry room. However, my nine-month-old is a bit of a chatter when I can't get him to sleep through the service. What noise level should others be expected to tolerate, and when are parents supposed to get their kids out of the congregation? Oh, Amanda, you're asking an explosive question because a lot of people are very sensitive about this. On the one hand, it is it can become almost impossible to speak or even be heard if a child is crying and even screaming in church. And uh, I guess that kind of answers your question uh, about the point at which it is good to take a, a little one out of out of the pew and, and go to the vestibule or something. You know, in the old days, a lot of churches were built with crying rooms. That was the day when Catholic parents had had kids, and there were a lot of young people in church. And a lot of people don't like to use them, even though they were made so that they could follow Mass and, and hear everything, and yet there'd be some separation. Uh, I think you just have to make—there's no magic formula for this. You have to make a prudent judgment uh, about the level— on the one hand, mass has to be heard and has to you have to and can't be utterly distracted from. On the other hand, kids will be kids, and you have to you know you have to strike the right balance. So I leave that to your your good judgment. And we have a question from Karen from Goshen. Karen says, "Why are the Gloria and Alleluia omitted during Lent? What other special rules are there during the Lenten season?" Well, because it's a more sober season of penance and prayer. And uh, it only heightens the fact that it is gloriously re, uh, reinstituted uh, at Easter because these are f- festive uh, things, uh, the Gloria and the Alleluia. And so it's been the church's tradition that we reserve Alleluia until Easter comes and, and uh, hold back. The, the Eastern churches don't do that. The Eastern church, that's just our uh, custom in the Latin church. And Sandra, and Sandra didn't mention where she's from, but she says, thank you for this weekly program. My question for the Archbishop is regarding whether the Catholic Church has an official position on banning semi-automatic weapons. Being completely pro-life myself, my heart breaks for all the souls lost. I've observed that most mass shootings involve this particular weapon, which according to the NRA statistics, the AR-15 is the most popular weapon sold in the U.S., Gun deaths declined after the 1994 ban on this particular weapon, but sadly increased 70% after the ban expired in 2004. Does the church have a pro-life position on this? If not, should it? Well, Sandra, I, uh, you know, hearing your question right now, I don't have at my fingertips uh, anything, but I do know that the, in the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops over time has, in fact, uh, addressed this issue. If you, if you go to uh, the USCCB and uh, look at that website, I'm sure you will find a statement about uh, guns and uh, the havoc, not condu- condemning guns per se as if they're evil in themselves, but certainly calling for a responsible use uh, uh, with regard to, to the availability and use of guns. And I think we have time for one last question. Archbishop Tricia from Milford says, Why was the wording of the blessing of the wine at Mass changed from for you and for all to for you and for many? Didn't Christ die for all of us? Yes, but it's very interesting that in the original Greek of the scriptures, it says for the many or for many. And this was something that Pope Benedict uh, talked about when with the translations. It means for all, for the many, but it's interesting. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas actually uh, 
theologizes about this and offers some very interesting observations about that use in the New Testament. Uh, and there are also, uh, I think, historical references in as much as from the Old Testament. Desire was to, to stick closely to the uh, language of the, the New Testament about this, but it, uh, it, it, with the understanding that it, it doesn't mean that he didn't shed his blood for all, but why for the many? And again, I would commend you to look at St. Thomas Aquinas and some other interesting things that have been uh, said about this. You know, I think we have to be very careful uh, not to run roughshod over the subtleties of Scripture, because sometimes there are, there are meanings that are not immediately evident, but in the whole context of Scripture and the great tradition of the Church, reveal a depth uh, of meaning that is not immediately appreciated. And uh, so to answer your question very simply, yes, Christ died for all. But there, uh, in, in, in the Scripture, there is something being com- suggested or communicated in this use of uh, the many. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, as we begin the season of Lent, we have much to be grateful for, but we also have much to ask ourselves about where we are in relation to you and your word. And we ask for the grace not to let this Lenten season go by without profit to us spiritually, that you will wake us up to take note of where we are and where we need to be by your grace to grow in holiness, to grow in faith, hope, and love. And we ask your blessing on our world so troubled by violence, war, oppression, and suffering that we may be instruments of uh, charity and peace to our neighbors, to the wider community, to the world. We ask success for this year's Archbishop's Annual Appeal that begins now, that it may be one of the means for bringing this healing and help into the world. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, and we look forward to next week's program. Thank you. 